When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Deconstructed. I'm Ryan Grimm. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you've seen the movie or read the book The Big Short. If you haven't, the fact that you were alive in 2008 means you know the gist of the story. Wall Street bankers packaged and sold garbage loans that eventually blew up the global economy, ruining millions of lives in the process and fueling the rise of right-wing authoritarian populism around the world. Other than Teresa Judice, star of the Bravo TV show Real Housewives of New Jersey, and her husband Joe, Basically, nobody went to prison for any of it. Real Housewives getting a bitter taste of reality, a judge sentencing both Teresa and Joe Judice to prison for fraud. In announcing their indictment, U.S. Attorney Paul Fishman got cute. Everyone has an obligation to tell the truth when dealing with the courts, paying their taxes, and applying for loans or mortgages. That's reality, he said. Pathetic as that joke at their expense was, his claim was also a lie. Everyone did not, in fact, have an obligation to tell the truth when dealing with loans or mortgages. Wall Street executives had gotten fabulously wealthy in the run-up to the financial crisis by lying about those very things and got bailed out when it all went south. Going after the gaudy Judices was about as much as federal prosecutors bothered with, catching them fudging some paperwork the same way millions of others did. You're the one who was in jail, not me, bitch. I would love to grab you by the back of your head. After locking Joe away in solitary confinement, they even deported him back to Italy, where he hadn't lived since he was a little kid. And since nobody but one real housewife and her now ex-husband paid the price, it's happening again. Today's show is a bit more technical than I usually do, but even if you get lost in acronyms here and there, the broad outline of the story is sadly quite easy to follow, and it's a fascinating one. The one guide I'll offer is this one. CMBS stands for Commercial Mortgage-Backed Securities. Those are similar to RMBS, which stands for, yes, Residential Mortgage-Backed Securities. During the 2008 crisis, banks bundled together a ton of bad mortgages and created a new asset out of them and claimed that since they were now all bundled together, they were no longer risky, and the rating agencies went along. Those new assets are called securities, and they were made up of residential mortgages, hence the name, Residential Mortgage-Backed Securities, or RMBS. Commercial mortgage-backed securities are exactly what they sound like. They're financial products that are backed not by home loans, but by commercial loans. The problem in 08 was the bankers and brokers were inflating the incomes of people taking out mortgages. This week, in a story in The Intercept, a financial analyst turned whistleblower provided data that bankers appear now to be doing the same for commercial real estate, inflating income and packaging it together into risky assets. So to recap, RMBS... Residential securities, the ones you remember from 08. CMBS, commercial securities. That's what we're talking about today. It's an abbreviation that you may end up becoming very familiar with in the not-too-distant future. I'm joined today by John Schwartz, my colleague who reported this story with me, and John Flynn, the CMBS analyst turned whistleblower who served as our primary source. What John found, through breathtakingly laborious detective work, 
is an underbelly of the commercial mortgage market that is a lot softer than we might have thought. Well, John Flynn, welcome to Deconstructed. Thank you. And, and John Schwartz, thank you for joining us again here on Deconstructed. Well, it's great to be here to talk about this uh, extremely complicated but fascinating issue. It is. It is fascinating. And so, John Flynn, tell us a little bit about how you got here. You know, and, you know, how, how did you wind up at a credit rating agency to begin with? Right. My career started in Tokyo, actually. My clients were Fortune 500 firms looking to enter into the Japanese market. After working there for about four years, I joined GMAC, Commercial Mortgage, the predecessor to Berkadia. And that's when the Japanese banks were all suffering from non-performing loans, uh, bad credits. And we went around with joint ventures with Morgan Stanley and uh, Goldman Sachs and the likes, purchasing non-performing loans from Japanese banks. And that was really fun. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we purchased everything from goose farms to bowling centers to golf courses, etc., I'd been in Japan for about 10 years, and I wanted to get a flavor for how things were done in the West because I didn't want to specialize in Japan for the rest of my life and stay there. So I moved to Australia. Mm. I met my wife, uh, my Australian wife in Tokyo, and we moved to Australia. And after a stint working in development for a CBD tower with Len Lease, I joined Moody's in their ABS, uh, asset-backed security team, mm -hmm. where I helped to rate everything from credit card receivables to auto loan receivables to commercial real estate to uh, uh, esoteric uh, privatizations, etc. So what, what years were you at Moody's? In about 2001 to 2002, mm -hmm. I think. And during that time, I met uh, the Fitch people in Sydney. And mm -hmm. CMBS was taken off in Japan in a big way. Uh, during that time, and they gave me an offer I couldn't refuse to go back to Tokyo and help them out on their CMBS ratings. But understand that I already had been in Japan for a long time, and I wanted to get mm -hmm. out. And uh, so I got them to relocate us to Chicago, where the CMBS market was on steroids. Mm -hmm. Part of my role was to make sure models were consistent across the globe, etc., but I started running deals, uh, CRE CDOs, commercial real estate collateralized debt obligations, mm -hmm. uh, CRE CDOs. Uh, I developed that model, actually. Right. And these, these are some of the acronyms we got used to during the yes, previous yes. financial crisis, collateralized debt obligations and all yes. like. Sure. I worked on those. But my mainstay was uh, Conduit CMBS, Conduit Commercial Mortgage Backed Securities. CMBS are groups of about 100 loans put together, diverse uh, portfolios of commercial real estate loans pooled together and sold off into the market. And that was in 2003 or four or so. And I saw a mm -hmm. lot of things come across my desk that, you know, were just crazy. And, you know, I took that mm -hmm. knowledge, put it in my pocket. And in 2006, early 2006, I joined Dexia. It was an artesian mortgage at the time. And they were basically the Belgian central bank's U.S. commercial real estate lending arm. And I joined them to ramp up for a CRE CDO. And we were getting ready to launch that. 
and the financial crash took hold mm-hmm. in 2008. No, had, had you seen it coming? Like when, when the bottom started falling out, did you connect it to all of those shaky loans that you had seen coming across your desk? Well, I yes, I, I think it's fair to say I was. In fact, uh, many of my colleagues at Fitch Ratings would remind me that I was frothing at the mouth many times in New York uh, <laughs> saying this is all going to end in tears. And, mm-hmm. you know, the writing was on the wall in so many ways to those in the, indus- in, in the industry. And I expected mm-hmm. the contagion to carry over to the CMBS uh, market as well. So, yeah, I think it's fair to say that, I, you know, I did see it coming along with a lot of others in the industry. Mm-hmm. But going back to Artesia or, or Dexia, mm-hmm. I moved there to Belgium. They relocated me to Belgium to help their ABS team uh, work out that portfolio. And that's really my mm-hmm. first run-in with the U.S. market and its credit issues in underwriting and commercial real estate loans. As an investor, you know, I looked at what the servicers were doing. And on one hand, you had the worst credit underwriting period in history, you could say with a straight face. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you had limited putbacks for misrepresentations and warranties. You know, if a loan is misrepresented, the lender has to sell the loan back because it lied about the loan quality, basically. So, so you had a, you, so you had a lot, lot of lying, but nobody was... Calling them out. Nobody's calling them out on it, right? Yeah. And so I you know, would pick up the phone uh, uh, and get on the phone to, you know, the, the stateside servicers and say, you know, what the hell's going on? And they were very responsive. And the same thing was happening in Europe as well. In 2013 and 14, Dexia was renationalized into the Belgian Central Bank because of, you know, their uh, exposure to ABS. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they said all foreigners go home. And, you know, which I was one and they were going to send me to New York, but I, you know, we were going to end up in Australia at some point. So I decided mm-hmm. to go straight to Australia, but I kept my eye on the U.S. market mm-hmm. and I saw that CMBS borrowers were getting raked through the coals when, for example, a default occurred on their underlying loan. The servicers would not call out mm. the lender liabilities. You know, many times I would see halfway built, not halfway built, maybe 75% built buildings um, being hmm. sold as uh, fully complete. I'd see env- undisclosed environmental catastrophes on loans being sold undisclosed. Um, halfway occupied buildings being sold as fully occupied. You know, the issues go on and on. And all of those are misrepresentations. Mm-hmm. And so my tactic that made me unique in the market was that I would take these issues and I would say, well, look, there's also lender liability here. And servicer, you have an obligation to call these out. Mm-hmm. And um, and you have to. In fact, it, it's your obligation. And they hated me for it. Um, you know, they weren't used to anyone bringing liabilities mm-hmm. to the table. And I got a bunch of successes under my belt. You know, I, I worked for the first six months at a private equity firm. And then uh, me and two guys took off and carved off CRE loan advisors. And, uh, you know, I was uh, achieving discounted payoffs for borrowers of up to 70% mm-hmm. of their loan. So, you know, meaning that the borrower would, if they had a $10 million loan, they would purchase a loan back for $3 million and, you know, the $7 million would be mm-hmm. forgiven. So I was doing well, but then the servicers got wise to what I was doing and they kind of stiff-armed me and, you know, refused to work with me. That was as the market was turning. You know, the whole market was expecting this whole waterfall of maturities. 
from badly underwritten loans in the 2005 to 8 era. Uh, as they matured, they, the whole market was mm -hmm. expecting these loans to default upon maturity from 2015 to 2018. Well, they were defaulting mm -hmm. and servicers were foreclosing on assets and they were building up these assets on the quote unquote trust balance sheet to many billions. But then in like 16 and 17, 2016 mm -hmm. and 17, they started selling these loans en masse, uh, not selling, but refinancing them en masse into new uh, CMBS mm -hmm. 2.0. And CMBS 2.0 is basically any loan sold after 2013 mm -hmm. under new, better structures, uh, new and better kind of tongue in cheek there. <laughs> and, you know, everyone blamed, they blamed the good performance on, number one, new entrance into the loan market, new lenders, non-bank lenders, right? Mm -hmm. Also low interest rates and a, and a positive economy. I remembered back to the Fitch days and, and thinking, well, no way, you know, did they get refinanced? So mm -hmm. I dug deeper and dug deeper. And I basically followed the premise that, look, if the information was mm -hmm. difficult to find, then you should go through hell and high water to get it because there's something there. Part of the solution that they came up with was that investors should have a one-stop shop to get all their information that they need in, in CMBS. So that solution was for Wells Fargo to generously uh, operate a website portal that would make all this information available to investors and servicers and rating agencies and analysts. And that uh, website is ctslink.com. So the big data feeds that come through there and feed into the models, into the waterfall of the CMBS structures, which are very complex, those automatic feeds were taken from CTS Link and then put into the models, which, by the way, are now totally black boxes. It, it used to be that you had to model out the waterfall, but now they generously do that for you. So mm -hmm. as an investor, you don't even have to worry about the waterfall because now You know, that's all modeled out for you, mm -hmm. of course, by the banks or by the loan sellers. Well, Wells Fargo, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. John Schwartz, you know, you've done a lot of reporting on Wells Fargo in in the past. And, you know, both you and I have been talking to John Flynn a lot over the past year, sussing out what, what he found and, and fitting it into the historical context of the financial crisis. And what parallels did you find? 
Well, you know, if people think back to what was going on in 2008, if you're following the news then, it was this incredibly confusing swirl of acronyms and numbers and so on. But in fact, what was happening was not complicated at all. The thing about Wall Street is it really only has about four basic scams, and it just continually runs them in different combinations in different ways. And the particular scam of the housing bubble in the 2000s was counterfeiting. So everybody knows regular counterfeiting is uh, you just print something that looks like money, but it has no actual value. What Wall Street was doing in the 2000s was they were printing another form of paper wealth bonds that had some value, but much, much uh, less than they purportedly did on their face. So to understand this, you have to think about sort of regular mortgages in the past and how mortgages began to be issued uh, more recently, including the 2000s. Mm -hmm. So people think about like, I want to buy a house. I go to a bank. They give me a mortgage. They loan me money. And then I have to pay that bank back over a period of 30 years. Now, in the past, if you think of like, it's a wonderful life. I'm in trouble, Mr. Potter. I've got to raise $8,000 immediately. The bank there, when it was making loans, cared whether they could pay that loan back. Well, what kind of security would I have, George? You got any stocks? No, sir. Bonds? Real estate? Collateral of any kind? I have some life insurance. Yes, uh, how much is your equity in it? If you loan someone money, you want them to be able to pay you back. But what happened in the past couple of decades was the development of something called securitization with mortgage loans. And so what that means is one bank would issue the loan and you'd get the money, you'd buy the house, but they would then take that loan and sell it off to someone else. So the incentive mm. to make sure that the person could pay the loan back uh, dropped significantly. <laughs> and they would sell these loans off, usually to another bank, then banks would take these loans, say, 50, 60, 70 loans, package them all together into something called a trust. And then the trust would issue bonds based on the loans that were part of this pool. Now, if in fact those mortgages had been correctly underwritten, if people could actually pay these loans back, then that's a great deal. You know, you, you buy one of these bonds and then you get regular payments over you know, a period of years. But what happened in the 2000s was the development of something called liar loans, where banks no longer cared about whether a loan actually was correctly underwritten. And so they had a great incentive to just collect the fees for originating the loans. So they wanted to issue as many loans as they possibly could. So they would find lots and lots of people who actually could not afford to pay this money back. They would find someone who's a bartender in Florida making $25,000 a year, and the bank would claim in the paperwork that they were actually making $300,000 a year, you know, so they could afford to buy a house that cost, you know, one and a half million dollars. And so all of these bad loans would go into these pools, into these trusts, and then the bonds that were issued by these trusts were essentially counterfeit. And that is the thing that turned it into such a catastrophe in the 2000s because you would have pension funds that really do need regular income uh, buying these bonds. And when the whole thing collapsed, both sides were ruined. You would have uh, the people who had taken the loans out to buy homes, they would get thrown out of their homes. Uh, the pension funds, 
they would be uh, not getting the payments that they had counted on. The only people who profited were the middlemen, the people who'd done the packaging, like uh, Countrywide was notorious for this. They would have made hundreds of millions of dollars on all of these packaging fees. And so that's what happened then. What seems to be happening now is potentially something not in the uh, residential mortgage-backed securities market, but in the commercial real estate-backed securities market. So that means loans that are based on mortgages you know, for shopping malls or hotels, things like that. Right. So John Flynn, as you start digging deeper into the underlying documents uh, behind the, the CMBS loans, I, you start to find something that looked a little bit similar uh, to what John Schwartz just described. When did you start to realize that you were onto something fairly huge? It was mm-hmm. in 2017, late 2017, basically. You know, I started out doing, okay, I'm just going to do 10 of these and I'll see, I'll see where it goes. And all 10 of them were inflated. I'm like, what? And um, so I kept going from there, basically. And, and before you go f- further on that, I, I have been blown away by how hard it was for you to find what you found. You know, you, you, you shared with us all of the different documents and you walked us through you know, how to confirm everything that that you were saying. And even with all of those documents already in front of us and the, the path, you know, and the, ma- and the roadmap of how to get there, it took an enormous amount of work because of the changes of address, the changes in the names of these loans. So tr- explain to people what they would have to do if they wanted to do the same thing that you did. Well, this, the data feeds that I was referring to before, none of the comparable data to compare two sets of numbers, you need two sets of numbers, right? Mm-hmm. So none of the comparable data is in the uh, data feed. Which is wild because wouldn't wouldn't investors want this comparable data? Well, yeah, uh, uh, an investor that is curious, certainly they would want that data, but Again, they're they're managing billions and billions, and do they have the incentive? Mm-hmm. And would they do anything about it? I don't think the average investor would rattle the cage of right. a bank who right. is doing this because number one, they wouldn't see any deal flow uh, because you know the wealth management arms are closely tied to the same large banks sponsoring the deals, mm-hmm. so they don't really have an incentive to do it. And plus, the lawyers for the banks got wise to the kind of tactics that they used for RMBS litigation, and they patched up or they they kind of rigged the decisions and the yeah the courts so that it's a very difficult path to walk to actually bring a case to either put back a loan or to do mm-hmm. otherwise, change a service or whatever. So, so there's no point. Yeah, there's no point. So getting back to the steps on how to do it, the building name and address changes is something that I was aware of earlier You know, when I started representing borrowers. The first five minutes of the conversation would be to establish, uh, are we talking about the same building? You know, the borrower would call it, you know, building XYZ and the bank would mm-hmm. call it building ABC. And sometimes the building location would change. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would actually change the physical location of the building, you know, <laughs> if it's the same collateral. So even if a investor was curious, it would be very difficult for them to do it. Right. So these banks are changing when they're refinancing these properties. They're 
they're changing the address, and they're changing the name of the property. So any attempt to kind of compare the numbers that they were using to finance it the first time around, to compare that to the numbers they're using to finance it this second time around, it's not entirely impossible, but it would take somebody an awful lot of time. Am I right? Yes. And it raises a lot of doubt. You know, you have to be certain when you're doing these comparisons that, you know, building A is building A. Mm -hmm. And there's many legitimate reasons for changing a building name, right? And there are some legitimate reasons for changing an address, but not on the scale and the systematic mm -hmm. scale that I see in the data. And so as you would compare the numbers from one pile of paperwork to the next pile of paperwork, even though you'd find this, it, it was representing the same year, you kept finding the income inflated. Is that right? Yes, in short. And so what else could account for that other than the obvious? Well, the main thing that people put forth is adjustment for capital expenditures and for tenant improvements and leasing commissions, or TILC. Mm -hmm. And that takes place when an underwriter is estimating the income for a building, the net income for a building. There are expenses that have to do with the integral structure of the building, and those are capital expenses. There's also operating expenses. So what mm -hmm. one does when they underwrite a, a loan is they split out the operating expenses from the capital expenses and make adjustments in the expenses. And so that's what they put forth as an explanation. Mm -hmm. But in both cases, in the old and the new trusts, the underwriters were normalizing expenses. So that wasn't an explanation. And they were following mm -hmm. guidelines, industry guidelines in doing so. And in many cases, the different cash flows that were being reported were made simultaneously as the loan was being sold into a new trust. So the reporting in 2015 was done, you know, in, in maybe in December 2015, and a different loan for the same collateral was being sold in like January 2016. So this reporting is only like months old, right? Right. So, you know, how does it change so drastically in that month? And it, and it shouldn't change at all because you're talking about the same time frame, same collateral, right. um, same circumstances. So it shouldn't change at all. Right. And so you found that often these numbers were different. How often was it that the error was inflating the amount of income? Just like how John Schwartz talked about the, the bartender who said that, that he or she was making $300,000 a year. How often was the number inflated and, and how often did you find it, it deflated where they kind of stated the, the income in lower than it was before? Oh, it was inflated over 90%, mm -hmm. maybe over 95% of the time, mm -hmm. you know, and I never went back and measured it because, you know, this is very laborious work. Right. And so what's the function of that? What's the benefit to the, the lender? So the liar loans in um, RMBS, the credit driver for RMBS is the borrower's credit, uh, the borrower's income. And the credit driver for uh, CMBS mm -hmm. is cash flow. Cash flow is king, right? And so if you inflate the cash flow, you, of course, get a higher income mm -hmm. that increases the what they call the debt service coverage ratio, which is the NOI, the net operating income. Mm -hmm. And there's thresholds called for 
under guidelines, under regulatory guidelines that loans mm. have to meet to be sold into a pool. And so that is the benefit is right. number one, that they get the loan sold. That is an otherwise unsaleable right. loan, right? Benefit number two is it can load on more debt um, because with that NOI increase, it also increases the value so they can load on more debt. N number three is they show a less volatile cash flow profile of the underlying asset, which less volatility is a higher credit quality, right? Right. So there's an extraordinary amount of benefit to the lender to be able to inflate yes. uh, the, the cash flow that their borrower claims to have. So, you know, John Schwartz, where do you see this going from here? It's tough to predict. Yeah, this is a situation, a, a huge financial crisis where you would expect any kind of fraud to become apparent. Like there's a very famous Warren Buffett quote where he says, when the tide goes out, you find out who's been swimming naked. Mm -hmm. And that is the problem that happened. You know, that's what happened in 2008 is that when the economy collapsed, everything that had been done in the residential mortgage-backed security market became apparent. It's happening to some significant degree now. We have some graphs and charts in our article that people can consult where the companies, you know, shopping malls, hotels are having a very, very hard time paying back the mortgages that they had taken out on the properties. But, you know, we'll just have to wait and see if it's as big a catastrophe in, as it was in 2008 or if it's, uh, you know, something different. And John, John Flynn, you know this industry well. Where do you think it's headed? The The Federal Reserve is playing an interesting role because it, it seems like there could be a significant amount of economic downturn and fraud combined that if the Fed soaks enough of it up, can just keep kind of limping along. You know, as Keynes said, you know, we're all dead in the long term. So it could limp along in the medium term or in the short term. What's your read on how much trouble the, in the industry is in? Well, look, we're in a low interest rate environment right now, mm -hmm. right? So the hunt for yield is on. Um, any money out there needs to be placed uh, to earn a yield, any kind of yield. Mm -hmm. And CMBS still offers a, a reasonable yield um, as compared to treasuries. And so the demand will still be there. And if there's no accountability in, in this low interest rate mm -hmm. environment, all they need to do is inflate numbers again. So it may, to get, you know, these troubled loans refinanced, people say, oh, how are they going to get refinanced? Well, they could just create value. Same way they just did. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Well, to that question, why wouldn't you? John Schwartz, what is your read on what the Biden administration could do about this? Well, if indeed this was fraud on the part of any of the players, you know, generally speaking, that is illegal. If the Biden administration wants to actually enforce the law in a way that the Obama administration did not in 2009, then they have many, many tools to do so. And in fact, it is happening already that the SEC is getting involved in the kind of litigation and enforcement that you would expect to see in a situation like this. The FCC just filed a lawsuit against a credit rating agency for manipulating its CMBS ratings methodology. Another credit rating agency has already paid $2 million in fines to settle an SEC suit. So the government can 
put a stop to it. Uh, they can hold the people responsible. Mm-hmm. The issue is really one of political will rather than, uh, you know, some sort of mm-hmm. like, like abstract right. capacity. Like they can do it if they want. I mean, everyone, every, um, let me interject there. Everyone points at the credit rating agencies as the culprit, you know, but they're easy targets because they can't fight back, right? They don't suffer any, any damage or blowback from the credit rating agencies because, you know, they're not the banks, you know, they won't suffer in deal flow, et cetera. But the real culprits are the ones doing the inflation. Mm-hmm. Would rating agencies have to be fundamentally differently structured to be able to catch what you found? Like this isn't, like my read is that this isn't exactly them sleep asleep at the switch. It's that they don't actually even have somebody stationed at this particular switch because they kind of take lender's word to a certain degree and, and then look at things above that. They're not doing the laborious work that that you went through. Right. Is that right? Right. No, they have to take the lender on their word, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the issuer pays model is inherently uh, open to that, open to abuse. You know, uh, maybe take a page out of China's China's book. You know, you 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 have to you have to do some enforcement on it, basically. But again, it's only their opinion, and they say that very loud and clear. It's only only their opinion. Right. right. Well, John Flynn, thank you so much for walking us through this. No, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And John Schwartz, thank you for collaborating with me on this story. This was this was something to get our hands around. But I hope that that people are start to pay attention to it. Yeah, I hope people can take a look at this. It it is. The kind of thing that you know it takes a little while to understand, but once you once you do understand it, it really is incredibly interesting. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Bye. That was John Flynn and John Schwartz. You can read the story that John Schwartz and I wrote, The Bigger Short, at theintercept.com. And a big thank you to everybody who became a member of Deconstructed last week. The promotion did so well, we're extending it through the end of the month. If you go to theintercept.com slash give and make a donation of any amount, you'll get a signed copy of my book, We've Got People. Deconstructed is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept. Our producer is Zach Young. Laura Flynn is our supervising producer. The show was mixed by Brian Pugh. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Betsy Reed is The Intercept's editor-in-chief. And I'm Ryan Grimm, DC Bureau Chief of The Intercept. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show so you can hear it every week. If you're subscribed already, please do leave us a rating or review. It helps people find the show. And if you want to give us feedback, email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much, and see you next week. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.